Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, y'all, yes, y'all, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are online. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio, and the cool is in full effect. Been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a cold pod to step to. Forgive me for the absence, y'all. I know it's been a minute. Last time I gave y'all a pod, I believe it was the album review for Kendrick Lamar, uh, Mr. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I think that was back in May when I gave you all that. So it's been, you know, a month of some change, so to speak. Actually, I don't even remember how early in May that was. So it could have been two months, technically. But that's here they here. We're not here for the semantics. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, apologize for not being around as often. You know, just had, had to handle some stuff on my end. But nonetheless, I do have a few things I want to get to on today's pod. Um, it won't be... The regular format that I normally do with like, you know, let the dish breathe, mic check, and then, you know, trip talk and all that good stuff. It, they'll have a little bit of that here and there, but there's just a few things that I want to get at on today's pod. Um, so what I'll do to uh, kick things off is to basically give y'all a photo dump, so to speak, of things that I've wanted to talk about either from like a couple months ago or things that may have recently happened that I just don't want to divulge too much time on because the main things that I want to get to on today's show have to do with uh, Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover, and this uh, season of Atlanta that I wrapped up a few weeks back. And my take on it, as well as how it leads into other things that are happening within society right now, and I also want to discuss uh, Drake's latest album, uh, which is the uh, the House Project, and some somewhat of a divide that fans are having with it, and the criticism that he's been getting with it. So I want to talk about that. But before I get to all that, let us do a mini photo dump, if you will, or topic dump, however you want to describe it, of certain things that I've wanted to get to either within like, the last couple of weeks. Or something that just may recently happen, or within the last month or two, and let's just compile all that into this edition of Let That Ish Breathe. Let this bitch breathe. All right. So first thing I want to talk about in this uh, modified version of Let That Ish Breathe, if you will, is Nipsey Hustle. So with regards to Nipsey Hustle, obviously we know that he was tragically murdered. Three years ago, around this time, actually. And in recent news with regards to that, his killer uh, has been convicted of murder on the first degree. So I think we all knew that that was going to happen. And right now, it's just a matter of, you know, waiting for the sentencing to take place. And I think it's a foregone conclusion that he will receive life imprisonment. Minimum 25, 25 years to life. I, that's the absolute minimum. Uh, on top of that, I doubt he'll get he'll have any chance of parole or or to uh, leave early on good behavior or anything like that. I mean, he murdered somebody in cold blood. So I don't think there's going to be any chance of him having, you know, that that type of leeway to uh, shorten his sentence uh, or to have anything less than what he's about to get, which is most likely going to be life imprisonment. Um, I don't know what his criminal background is, if he, if he has one. If he does, then they're, they're easily going to take that into account as well. But if he doesn't, regardless, I mean, he, he shot the man blatantly in cold blood and in point-blank distance as well. So he's definitely going to get a lifetime sentence. It's just a matter of getting the official word from it. But it was reported this week that he will be uh, convicted of murder in the first degree. So at least on that end... On that half of the end, I should say, uh, justice for Nipsey has been has been taken. Um, so the other half of that is determining what type of sentence he's going to get. I think that's the other half because I've always said 
It's one thing if you get sentenced. That's that's one thing. That's one half of the battle. That's the first half. The other half is finding out what sentence you're going to get. And the sentence is all incumbent on the judge who is watching over the proceedings of the court case. So for all we know, we could get a judge who will say something stupid like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to have him have a hard time in jail. So he's just going to get 15 years. Like we've seen judges do stupid shit like that before. I'm not saying that this is going to happen in this particular court case, but I'm not going to have full trust of, of, of a judge, you know, despite how blatant the crime was, have him or her say the right thing. Like, we want to hear him or her say the right, the right thing. It's just a matter of them saying the right thing. But I can't see in this scenario how he he wouldn't get a maximum of, of life imprisonment or at the very least bare minimum 25 years in prison. I can't see how that would have happened. On top of that, we've already heard reports as well that he was attacked, and by he I mean the, the killer of Nipsey Hussle, he was attacked in jail uh, when he was in general population and he had multiple stitches and staples you know, to his head after his head injuries. So yeah, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be a fun ride for him, definitely not. And I would hope that he does get life imprisonment because you just can't get away like that at all when it comes to murder or any serious, serious crime. So that's my take on that. Uh, up next, let's talk about Dave Chappelle real quick. Now, this was like at least a month ago, bare minimum. But I'm sure we're all privy to it by now that he got attacked by some. It wasn't even a fan. It was like some random rapper, apparently, or recording artist who doesn't have a name for himself and therefore tried to make a name for himself off of, you know, attacking Dave Chappelle on stage. Uh, on top of that, when you go to his, you know, profiles on social media, it shows that uh, he, again, is has some sort of, like, music career that he's trying to get lifted off the ground and is a supporter of LGBTQ movements and what have you. And I'm sure he is someone who was not clearly not, not amused by a lot of the comments that Dave Chappelle has made with regards to that community. Uh, mind you, a lot of the stuff that Dave Chappelle has done is basically stand-up and and is giving his take on how he feels about those movements. Now, for people who don't actually watch his stand-ups or his Netflix specials in which he has had discussions on this, they're clearly just looking at a headline or just hearing word of mouth of what was allegedly said by Dave Chappelle. And then they're just running with it without their own investigation or their own, you know, um, um, inquiry on what he had said. And no doubt he's one of those people, which is why he attacks Dave Chappelle on stage. But more importantly, what I wanted to discuss, and I want, I kind of want to discuss this more in further detail when the story came out. But I feel like by now, I think I can just kind of put that to rest. But what I wanted to discuss is now that this has happened to Dave Chappelle, on top of what happened to Chris Rock when Will slapped him, uh, when Will slapped Chris Rock on stage during the Oscars, what does that mean for comedians going forward? And I kind of alluded to this when I was talking about the whole Will Smith debacle uh, a few months back. But we are now starting to see, you know, the ramifications of what Will Smith did. Now there are people out there who feel you know, emboldened enough to just go up on stage and slap a comedian across the face or accost them or just blatantly interrupt their set all because of the fact that they didn't like a joke that they said. Now, it's one thing if the joke wasn't funny. Even if the joke wasn't funny, you don't go up on stage and interrupt that person. Like, just because you're a fan and you paid your money doesn't mean it gives you the right to go up on stage and interrupt somebody's set time. Like, would you like it if somebody went to your your place of work, your place of business, and interrupted you for whatever reason? I mean, it's one thing if you hate the job that you're at, then hey, you know, have at it. But to basically belittle you and harass you while you're at your job, obviously you wouldn't like it. So why do you feel as if you're emboldened to go to a comedy show that you paid for, mind you, and then just and go up on stage and attack the comedian? Like, this is at the point where it's one thing if you're heckling, and heckling is a part of, like, the comedy circuit. But it's another thing where you're, when you're going up on stage and you're putting your hands on someone, 
because you didn't find a joke funny. At this point in your life, you're an adult. You have to learn the... If you have to learn the pure fundamentals of socialism by the time that you're an adult, then you have failed somewhere along the way. I'm not going to say that your teachers failed you or that your parents failed you. No, you failed yourself. You played yourself at that point. So are we at this point now in 2022 when on one end of the spectrum you have people, you know, storming the Capitol wearing Viking hats and shit like that. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who want everything to be extremely PC to the point where there is no room for error and that if you say something that could be seen as misleading, for example, then you're just automatically canceled or that you're just rushing on stage and attacking someone all for you know a cause that you feel as though you're representing. To me, it was bullshit. It was absolute bullshit. And... Even if this was the case of, like, let's say, like, Michael Richardson back in 2007 when he was screaming out the N-word during a commie set. I'm still not going to go up and tell somebody to attack him on stage physically. No. Because at the end of the day, he's already making an ass out of himself by, by, by being racist and being bigoted. He's playing himself at that point. So why should anyone, and mind you, I'm not saying that anyone actually did attack him on stage. But I'm saying at that point, if somebody were to attack him on stage... Whatever comments he made about you as far as far as if it's racial or anything like that, and you go and attack him on stage, you're almost kind of proving his point. So you got to play it smart. Be an adult. Use your damn words. So that's all I got to say about that matter, because that one was weighing on me for, for a hot minute. And then the last one I want to talk about, and this one was more recent. I think I, I found out about this. Uh, as of this recording, actually, it is Friday, July 8th. Um, I found out about this um, earlier today, actually. So there you go. <laughs> but anyways, this one has to do with uh, Doja Cat. So Doja Cat is no stranger to... Uh, stranger. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out why that's funny in a second. But she's no stranger to controversy. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when she was on some social media platform where there's like video like where it's like video chats and what have you and she made a bunch of comments within a chat uh chat forum a bunch with a bunch of white guys saying how she likes being called the n-word by white guys during sex um so yeah that was awkward to say the least but nonetheless um she's in it again because she has apparently had a i won't even say a war of words but she's had a bit of an issue recent issue i should say with a cast of the mem a, a cast member of the show Stranger Things. All right, see what I did there? Ah, 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 no, I'm just I'm being corny right now. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, um, so the cast member in question is the actor known as Noah Schnapp. And for those of you who watch it, and I'm assuming a lot of you do, uh, but for those of you who watch Stranger Things, Noah Schnapp is the actor who plays William. So William was the uh, kid with the uh, the fishbowl haircut, and he still has that fishbowl haircut in this season, and it looks weird. Why does his mom keep doing that? Take him to a fucking barber. Anyways, <laughs> that's I digress. Um, so apparently, Doja, and I don't know how long that Doja and Noah have had this friendship going, or where they're just casually, you know, chatting with one another you know, uh, through text or whatever the case may be, but she let it be known to Noah that she has a crush on one of his cast members, that cast member being Joseph Quinn. So for those of you who don't know Joseph Quinn, uh, he is the, one of the newest cast members of Stranger Things this particular season, and he plays the character, uh, Eddie Munson, who personally is my favorite character of this season. I love Eddie Munson. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna say anything beyond that. I don't know if anyone's watched, you know, the, the season yet, but, He's my favorite cast member. Anyways, so she let him know that she has a crush on him. So what he ended up doing, by he I mean Noah, is he basically took a screenshot of their conversation and blasted it on his social media. And Doja was not happy about that. So upon finding out about all of this, this is what she said in a video, I believe, that she did on Instagram. It's probably like an Instagram live video or something like that. But this is what she said. And I quote, I think that, to be fair, 
let's try to be chill about it. Like, Noah is a kid, but I don't even know how old, how old he is. But he can't be over. Like, there's no way he's over 21. But when you're that young, you make mistakes. You do dumb shit. I'm trying to be super fair. And uh, full disclosure, Noah is 17 years old, and Doja Cat is 26, I believe. So anyway, she continues on. You do dumb shit, you say dumb shit, you fucking fuck up relationships with people, you make mistakes. Like, you're supposed to do that so that you know you're not supposed to do that in the future. I did my share of fuck-ups so I, so that I don't fuck up again. So that's what she said. Okay. However, in that same video, she basically does a 180 <coughs> and says the following, and I quote, The fact that Noah did that, like went and posted a private conversation between me and him, is so unbelievably socially unaware and whack. That's like borderline snake shit. That's like weasel shit. And I'm not saying that that encapsulates his entire personality. Like, I don't imagine Noah that way. Maybe he is like a whole snake. But I didn't see him that way. I made an assumption that he was going to be chill about it. And he went and shared information that I didn't feel comfortable with him sharing. Okay. So that is a whole quote from uh, Doja Cat. Um, so here's my take on that. Um... I feel like I lean more on Doja Cat on this one, if, if I'm being completely honest. Um, obviously, I don't know what it's like to be in the celebrity world. I don't know the celebrity world makings and, and how people go go on about their conversations with their other celebrity friends and what have you. And I don't know the extent of her relationship with Noah, like I pointed out before. But I would have to imagine that if you're having a conversation with somebody through text... I would like to think that the contents of said conversation would be private. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen conversations being leaked on the internet. I mean, there was conversations between Drake and Kanye where Drake was telling him about his son Adonis and and the child's mother and their situation. And then lo and behold, Kanye tells that to Pusha T and he uses that for a diss track, right? So there's moments like that. Again, I don't know the extent of their relationship, but, you know, when it comes to that type of dynamic where you're telling someone something a bit personal, so to speak, like as far as like a love interest may may go, even if it's just a thing where she just wants to hook up with the guy, who, who knows? Not shaming her for that either, by the way, I just want to be perfectly clear. But either way, whichever one it is, you would assume that whomever you're telling that to would keep that private would keep that private. The only time they wouldn't keep it private is if Doja, for example, were to say, hey, Noah, I want you to tell your boy, Joseph, that I got a crush on him. Please tell him that. And then obviously, you would expect Noah to acquiesce and then tell Joseph and Joseph only. And then it's up for Joseph to decide, to decide whether or not he wants to play ball. But instead, he blurts it out to everyone, essentially. Now, my thing is this. I don't agree with what Noah did. I think he should have just kept on the hush-hush. At the same time, however, this kid is 17. He's 17. So my question to Doja, and I keep alluding to the, to the question, you know, how long have they known each other for? But more importantly, I, I allude to her as well. It's like, this kid is 17. What did you expect? What did you expect? I'm not saying he's right for it or that he's justified for it. But what did you expect from a 17-year-old, basically from a kid who was born after the year 2000? Like, these are the kids who were basically raised on social media. Millennials like myself, for example, we, came, we happened to come across social media and we picked it up. These kids were born in it, molded by it. You know what I mean? It's like... It's like it's like, I just thought about that quote from 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 the Dark Knight Rises. He's like, "You were merely no no." What do you say? He's like, "You were merely raised in the darkness. I was born in it, molded by it." You know, it's one of those situations, right? So it's like these kids these days who are basically the products of clout chasing or what have you, 
And knowing that he's on arguably the most popular show on television right now, by far the most popular on Netflix, and everyone's buzzing about it, and they're doing the little press junkets and what have you, obviously he's going to post some stuff that's going to keep the hype train rolling, whether it's right or wrong. And I, I agree with Doja that it was wrong of him to do that. But at the same time, I also say to Doja, he's a 17-year-old kid on arguably the biggest show on television right now. What did you expect? What did you expect? You know what I mean? Like, this reminds me of when of when um, Kendrick Lamar brought that white girl on stage to sing the, the song Mad City, where the N-word is, is repeatedly said ad nauseum within the chorus of the song. And obviously, with her standing in front of, like, tens of thousands of people, she said the word in unison while standing beside probably her favorite artist and a, and a bunch of screaming fans. You can get mad at that if you want, but what did you expect when you brought her on stage to sing that song? Not to mention, out of all the songs you, you could have chosen, you chose that one, right? So I almost say, in a similar sense to, to, to Doja Cat, what did you expect when you're telling a kid that I want to assume that you don't really know that well, and you're telling him all this personal information, and at 17 years old, you don't think he's going to blast this on the internet when he has... The hottest show on TV right now. Of course he's going to. This is what 17 year old kids on social media do. Hell. I remember Jason Tatum. You know the uh, basketball player. Who played in the NBA finals recently. For the Boston Celtics. This guy. Texted Kobe. Rest in peace. Basically saying don't worry I got this. And he took a screenshot of that. And posted it online. No one's knocking him for texting Kobe. that Because at the end of the day people grieve like we all know kobe has passed away right so obviously he's not gonna get that message like literally speaking in the physical presence but to post that on social media why right like this era is full of clout chasers and for all we know noah is probably a clout chaser for doing some stuff like that so obviously i'm i definitely hear where, where doja's coming from and she has the right to be mad at him but at the same time, it's like, what did you expect from a 17-year-old kid? Whether it's right or wrong. We're not even discussing whether it's right or wrong. Because we all know that it's wrong, it was wrong for him to do that. We know that. We know that. But to tell that to a 17-year-old kid who's on a wave right now. And who's come up in the social media generation where everybody wants clout. What did you expect? What did you expect? So, that's my thoughts on that. Um, I don't know if y'all agree or disagree. But regardless... Let me know. I'm very curious to know what your thoughts on that. Um, but either way, let me know. Uh, hit me up on all social media platforms, and we can definitely have a conversation on that because I would like to know what your guys' thoughts on that are on that as well, as well as everything else that we've been talking that I mentioned in uh, Trip Talk. Yes, sir. All right, so let's move on to the next topic that I want to talk about. All right, I want to talk about. I want to talk about Atlanta for a second. So I'm talking about Donald Glover's hit TV series on FX Atlanta. So I watched the third season. Um, I watched it. I think I, I think it finished maybe at least a month ago, two months ago, give or take. And I got to say, after waiting for this particular season for three years, basically, I got to say I was not pleased. I was not pleased with it at all. At all. So there was what, like 10 episodes, give or take? And I felt like half of those episodes had nothing to do with the main storyline of Atlanta. And I felt like the other half were very underwritten, with the exception of one episode. And I think that was the episode where, um, uh, what's my man saying? Paperboy was part of this black coalition of like artists and creatives that were basically aligned to excuse white people for their racist transgressions or whatever the case may be i can't remember uh the name of the episode exactly but that was the best one like to me that was what what atlanta encapsulated what what it has encapsulated over the past two seasons but but beyond that episode this season was disjointed it was either disjointed or they were reaching so low for the lowest of hanging fruit that it just it just went on on the line of of begging and pandering so 
a lot of the episodes that were in the season didn't really have to do with what was happening with with the main storyline within Atlanta. So, for example, you have a bunch of episodes that that were dealing with uh, more nuanced things that had to do with racism and and equality and what have you. And to me, not only do those episodes have nothing to do with the series as a whole in terms of the characters or anything like that, but to me, it felt like a way for Glover. So I'm talking about both Donald and Stephen Glover, the Glover brothers who write and produce the show. It felt like an easy way for them to like try and get that Emmy because we all know right now for the last two years, especially that race has been a hot button issue like i think right now we're at the peak of it it feels like we're at the peak of you know talking about race especially when it comes to like the african-american community and stuff like that and i felt like a lot of their episodes were heavily tinged on that and i'm not trying to say that they've never talked about race before but like it just it got to the point where i felt like it felt like they're going out of the way to just basically like kind of like call out white people just for the sake of calling out white people and that's never really been their mo when it comes to atlanta they've done that a few times here and there but it wasn't it it, it wasn't forced i felt like in in this season it was forced because you had these random filler episodes that had nothing to do with the main thing just so they can talk about you know some of the the a lot of like the the white privilege based things that you see within with within what you see within America and white America in particular as well. And my thing is this, if you wanted to do like an anthology type of series where you were talking about those things where you didn't have any of the characters that, that, that were connected to each other whatsoever, it was kind of like a black mirror or like a love, death and robots. If you wanted to do something like that, then sure, go ahead, do that. Or at the very least, if you wanted to, do one episode, a filler episode, right within the middle of the season. It's like an episode five, episode six, whatever you want to, wherever you want, you want, you want to place. But somewhere in the middle, where you had that type of anthology series as like a little break period in between the main story of the season, and then at the same time, you can use that as like a litmus test to see how audience gravitate towards that particular episode, and and, and thus using that as a way to launch. A brand new series full of different types of anthology episodes of that then that would be fine as well but to have that littered all throughout the series as filler episodes and taking away from the drama and the gravitas of what's happening within the main storyline it, it just ruins the pacing of, of of the season like this is a show that me personally i've been waiting for waiting for for the past three seasons or three years finally got it and in an era where like i felt like a lot of my shows that i'd watched in the past were being tainted or ruined by woke culture or extreme woke culture i should say i felt like atlanta would probably be the one show that could shield itself away from that and do what it wants because it's been that show that's done what it's want that that has done what it wants for however many years now but now they 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 kind of played up to that to that overly woke crowd. And for me, and I'm not trying to get political or anything like that, but I feel like I feel like when it comes to woke culture, I feel like there is a huge sense of like overcorrection and and just putting things into your face. And I feel like a lot of networks and executives within Hollywood, television and and film are are basically pandering to these crowds because they know they're going to have eyeballs on them at all times. And they know that they can make some money off of them as well. So all they're doing it for is just for the sake of, you know, uh, being, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? For being performative. And Glover has never really been a performative person per se. Like whatever he, like, especially like when it comes to his music, like whatever he writes, it's, it's from the heart. And you can tell there's a high level of sincerity for it. But I don't know. I'm starting to get this feeling that ever since, and we know Glover to be, the socially awkward black guy, basically, right? Who doesn't really cater to like a lot of the stereotypes. But I feel like probably ever since This Is America, where he finally got his quote unquote acceptance from you know the black community and what have you, I feel like slowly and slowly he's trying to inch closer to that community. Like in the sense of in the sense of placating towards, you know, whether it's your stereotypes or their insecurities as far as 
how he wants to relate to them. So we obviously know he's not a gangster or anything like that, nor have we ever believed him to be. But when it comes to talking about socially, socially political topics and what have you, I feel like that's where he has found his niche. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if you're just doing that as a way to kind of get in with the black crowd, like, yeah, I'm part of the circle now, then you're being disingenuous. And watching the season, man, I hate to say because I'm a huge fan of his, but it felt a little disingenuous, if I'm being completely honest. It felt like he was trying his best to sweep award season when it comes to television shows and what have you, and to finally get that Emmy for this particular show, I should say. But you're doing it in a way where you are where you are going the opposite route of what you've been doing with the show the entire time. The reason why the show has been so popular is because of the fact that you're you're taking narratives, you know, whether it's narratives in America or whether it's narratives within Black America, and you're flipping them over the t- over its head in a in a very intelligent, nuanced, and satirical way that we haven't really seen since the Boondocks. If I'm being completely honest, and now it just it just felt like he was just being like, hey, let me get my black card because I've never had it before and I'm a black nerd and no one ever really liked me. But for the last couple of years now, people like me and like I want to uh, um, I want the people who never liked me to, to like me now and stuff. It's like, what are you doing, bro? Like, and I have a huge problem with that, because when you do that, you you are now. You're now you're now trying to market yourself towards a fan base that never really cared about you in the first place. And this is something that Wale did when he joined MMG, for example, when he was just making music for like, you know, the, the black, the backpacker, hipster, black crowd and what have you. The ones who sure they like basketball and music, but they also like anime and, and all these other things that aren't considered black. But the minute you go to MMG, you just become like a poetic version of Meek Mill. And you're talking about how you love the strippers and and how you want that bends and, and and all those other things, right? And you can clean up however way you want to, but the sound is different, the, the subject matter is different. And like you're just you're just basically catering to a certain status quo that was never yours to cater to in the first place. This is what I feel like Donald Glover has done with Atlanta. I'm not gonna say that as far as the entire brand as a whole, because like his music hasn't really suffered, you know, from that standpoint. But then again, we haven't heard new music from him in a while. Minus a few, minus a few uh, guest verses here and there and what have you. He did come out with an album in 2020. I barely listened to it, though, if I'm being completely honest. Just because I think, like, the lack of track titles and stuff like that, it just kind of threw me off a little bit. Maybe I should give that a, a, a re-listen to see if, if, if his new path has affected his music. But I'll leave that for another day. But nonetheless, it it just felt super disingenuous. And it's not what I expected from Donald Glover, if I'm being completely honest. It's not what I expected at all. And it's very disheartening and very disappointing. And I feel like the show suffered a, a great deal. Like, this is one of the worst seasons of TV I've seen in a long time. But the joke is... I may have conversations with other people and they may love it. They may absolutely love it because it's so edgy and it's not afraid to tell you what it is. And it's funny because the people who did not watch Atlanta or who who refused to watch Atlanta in the first two seasons because it was too different or it it tries too hard to be smart. And like I've heard these things before. I'm not even exaggerating. I've, I've heard these complaints before. But the people who are saying those things like that or I don't get it or, or stuff like that. These are the same people who now love Atlanta because of this season. Oh, my God. He, he's talking the truth, yo. I'm like, really? Really? And I'm looking at it. I'm like, really, Donald? So these are... And like, I sound super elitist when, when I say it like this. But for me, it's like, really? These are the people that, that you want to cater to? Really? Like, you really want your black card that badly that you're willing to sacrifice... You know, the, the brilliant writing that you've done. And I'm not saying that this stuff is like is like trash or dog water, but it's just it's just so it's just forced. It's like you're you're reaching for low hanging fruit. And then even at the end, the in the final episode, which was more dedicated to the, the Vanessa character, 
this episode was so sloppy and disjointed as well. Like and like that was like to have that as your season finale. Oh my god! Like that would have been better as like maybe like the penultimate episode at best, so that we finally know what's happening with what's been happening with Van this entire season. But to have that as your finale, man, this is this sucks, man. Like. A lot of black shows that I really fell for over like the last five to seven years have really taken like some serious nosedives. Whether it was Insecure, Raising Dion, Black Lightning, and now Atlanta, which I thought was bulletproof, have taken some serious nosedives. And they've gone, like, a lot of these shows have gone, like, the quote-unquote woke route. And it makes me upset because it's, like, instead of doing writing that is just natural and, and, and just flows within the, the natural progression of things when it comes to the storyline, now you're just forcing in certain storylines that don't need to be there or you're rewriting characters in a way that that either vilifies them or over-sensationalizes over them to, to fit a particular demographic. And to me, that's just not the way to go. It's it's like you're sacrificing cohesive and brilliant storytelling, long-term storytelling especially, just so you can get a whole bunch of clicks and views on social media to get people to watch for one moment and then to be uh, on to the next thing, basically. That's how it felt. And so with that... Atlanta fell off, and I feel like when it comes to like woke culture, like the extreme side of it, I feel like they're just dictating a. They're, they're making these studios dictate a lot of things to placate towards them, but in but you know in 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 exchange for the fan service, in that regard, you're now sacrificing storytelling, and it sucks, because this was like arguably my favorite show on television, arguably. Now, I'm not even looking forward to the next season of Atlanta. Like, when it comes, it comes. Like, I just, I don't even care. If it takes another three years, so be it. But at this point, I don't care anymore. This is what it's turned into now. And this is not just an Atlanta thing. It's a Hollywood thing now. Where everyone just wants to reach for the lowest of hanging fruit. And it makes it that much more difficult to find original programming, programming and content that just tells a story without having to be overly political or overly social. Like if it bleeds within within the within the natural dynamic of the show, then so be it. That's fine. That's totally fine. But if you're just going out of your way to shoehorn it in there ad nauseum, just to be like, hey guys, look what we did. Look what we we're down for the cause. Like if you're doing that, then I'm not here for it. I'm just not. But that's my take on Atlanta. That's my take on woke culture within Hollywood. Am I going too far? Did you guys like this current season of Atlanta? If you did, let me know. Hit me up on all my socials and feel free to share your thoughts on that because I'd be curious to know what your take is. All right, all right. So let's talk about this Drake album. So Drake, as you all know, put out a new album less than a month ago, I want to say. I think it was less than a month ago. I feel like I feel like it was less than a month ago, and the title of it is honestly never mind. And the lead single for that is "Falling Back," where he had the music video with Tristan Thompson and a whole bunch of other people making their cameos in the video. Anyways, so the album came out, and to everyone's surprise, it was a house album. Well, first of all, to everyone's surprise, we didn't even know Drake was coming out with with with, uh, with the new project, and he announced it maybe like a day or two before it came out. And I was assuming it's probably going to be an album full of like unreleased material that we haven't heard from him at this point. That's what I was assuming. Because he had already done that, I think, back in 2020 with Care Package, where he put out a bunch of like unreleased singles that, that we've already heard before. Well, okay, unofficially released singles, I should say. Like, um, records that I guess didn't really have like a place on any album or, or anything like that, basically. But things that we, we had heard over the years. So kind of like... A greatest hits of like b-side collections essentially and then i think in 2021 he put out a bunch of like totally unreleased you know content at all it was just like 
random verses, I guess, that, that never made it onto an album that no one had ever heard. So it was not, there, there weren't, it wasn't a, 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 like a, like a verse on somebody's album that we had already heard or something like that. This was unreleased material altogether. It was like a photo dump of music, if you will. But this one is just like brand new music altogether. And it was a house album. And I'm just like, okay, all right, cool. So I listened to it and let's do it front to back. I've given it maybe like two listens at this point. And to me, it's not bad. It's cool. It's cool. Like I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of house music, but I don't hate it either. Like there's some house music that I like. There's some different forms of house that I listen to more often than, than anything else. Um, so to hear this, for me, it's not bad. I'm not going to judge him harshly on this because this isn't his genre like this is the first time i've heard him do entirely house album hell this might be the first time i've heard him do an album that's that that is majorly one genre because we've heard him do hip-hop obviously we've heard him do a mixture of hip-hop and r&b we've heard him you know intertwine afro beats and dancehall on his albums and projects and what have you but this is like the first time we've actually heard Drake deviate this far out of hip-hop on one project i mean we were saying for the longest time like drake needs to put out an r&b album or at least a lot of people were saying that and i, I found it interesting that he did a house album before he did an r&b album that's very interesting actually like that just came to my mind but anyways a lot of people are split on this album because on one end it's like yeah this is cool whatever but on the other end people are mad like why is he putting out a house album? I don't understand this. This sucks. His album cover sucks. I mean, I agree. The album cover isn't really that great to look at. It's weird. And I feel like Drake, a little bit here and there, has been dropping the ball on his album covers. I feel like when it came to, you know, ever since, if you're reading this, it's too late. I feel like he's been up and down on the album covers. So, for example, if you're reading this is too late, nah. Views, love it. Um, uh, what's it? More life? It's it all right. It wasn't bad. Scorpion. I barely remember what the Scorpion cover looks like. I remember it was mostly black. I know that for sure, but I barely remember it. And then what was it? Um, certified lover boy. A bunch of pregnant girl emojis. I mean, you could have done a lot better than that, bro. Come on. And then now this one, right? It looks like a chain. It's some sort of like calligraphy. It's I don't know. It looked like it was made on Word Art 95 or something like that. But anyways, I digress. Uh, but going back to the music, though, I feel like a lot of people are mad because they didn't want this kind of music from Drake. Like, they, when they heard a new Drake album was coming, they wanted another rap album or just typically what he normally does. And I feel like some people are, are critiquing it to the point where they're like, they're almost critiquing it and try to compare it to other house albums and for me i'm like it's not that serious it's not that serious of an album that it needs to be heavily critiqued you can critique it if you want but if you're going to heavily critique it and hold this against drake as far as his legacy and where he stands in in in, in the music industry and stuff like that just chill like chill out like it's not that serious like to me to me I'm not comparing. I'm not. I'm not about to compare this album to, let's say, uh, "Take Care." You know, I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. Like, this is clearly an experimental album for Drake that he wanted to like test out his metal in a different genre that he had never really fully dabbled in before. Like, occasionally, yes, but not fully. And on top of that, Drake is a businessman. We know this. He he's well aware of the fact that house music is basically the music of the summer in a lot of countries all over the world. We know that Drake is a global phenomenal pop con or, or sorry, a pop star icon. Like he, he's arguably the biggest pop star in the world at bottom bare minimum top five. He knows about different um, house festivals like Veld and Digital Dreams it's to the point where hip-hop festivals like Coachella and Rolling Loud were basically based off of the platforms of those house festivals. Like, festivals in hip-hop didn't even become a thing until within, I would say, the last 10 years, if we're being completely honest. There have been festivals that 
that that rap has been a part of, like Lollapalooza and stuff like that. But those were mostly rock festivals that you had a few hip hop acts be a part of. You know, you have Hot 97 Summer Jam, which is I wouldn't call that a festival. You may call that a festival now, but to me, that's more of a concert series where you put people in like in an arena, but you have hundreds of thousands of people who are packed out in these open fields and stuff like that. Those are festivals where you have vendors all over the damn place and stuff like that. Those are festivals and you have multiple shows happening all at once at the same time. Drake knows how much money is in those festivals and he wants a piece of that pie. And why wouldn't he? He's the biggest streaming artist of all time. He has more number one singles than any other artist in, in, in music history. Or at least since the Nielsen Soundscan era. He wants more of that pie, and why not? When I listen to this album, I call it popcorn music. You know why I call it popcorn music? Because this is the music that, and I'm not even trying to shame Drake when I say this, or anyone else for that matter, but this is the kind of music where you just kind of like allow yourself to shut off your brain or to at least shut off like the critical thinking portion of it and you just chill with it you just go with the vibe of it and i and i understand there are there are listeners out there who don't want that that feature or that function and i get it that's totally fine that is totally fine but there's no reason to knock it if that's what some people prefer and I don't think anyone is out here, like, even the most diehard Drake fans aren't out here saying that this is the greatest album that they've ever heard or it's the greatest House album. There are people who, who I personally know who listen to House who enjoy this. They enjoy it for what it is. They don't take it too seriously. Like, this is like me, or take me out of the equation, for example, for, for a second. Imagine if you were watching a film review by, by Ebert and Roper on Fast and the Furious. You know who Eben and Roper are. They're like two of the most acclaimed film critics in Hollywood history. And, you know, they probably went to school for, for film, for film and stuff like that. And they go into the minutia, into the extreme hardcore details of filmmaking and stuff like that. And, and what they're looking for as far as plot structure, uh, three act scenarios, etc., etc. They're not going out of their way to do that for Fast and the Furious. You know why? Because Fast and the Furious is a popcorn flick. When you go into a Fast and the Furious film especially over the last decade, I would say, you know what you're going in for. You're going in for exotic cars, exotic women, a good-looking cast of people, both men and women, um, a, a plot, a convoluted plot that makes absolutely no sense, espionage, racing with tanks, going into outer space with a Corvette. Like, this is what Fast and the Furious has turned into. And at this point in time, if you're still going into the theater mad that you're seeing a Fast and Furious movie, why are you spending your money? You know what you're getting yourself into. That's why when it comes to me and, and it comes to Fast and the Furious, I don't give a shit. I know what I'm... I, I am coming there to chill with my friends and to have a bu bucket of popcorn while I'm at it. And if Dom Toretto wants to zoom off of a cliff and attach himself to a grappling hook and swing around that canyon like he's Batman and then swing up top of it and then land smoothly, then that's just what I'm here for, damn it. And that's how I feel about this Drake album. And I'm sure a lot of people do. So for all the people who are freaking out about it, it's not that serious. I, I feel for me personally, ever since Views, after I listened to Views, I made it up in my mind that Drake is no longer concerned with having a classic album or his placing within, within you know, hip-hop to a certain extent. Because what we've gotten from Drake throughout his entire career even going back to so far gone and so far gone you can give him a pass on that because that was like his his, his one of his upcoming projects right it was his mixtape it was his last mixtape um going into his debut album and he was so young in his career at that time but you go into those things but sorry you go into like i've gone into his albums since views saying to myself what i'm hearing from drake as far as content and subject matter is what i'm gonna get from him going forward he's gonna talk about women he's gonna talk about his mom he's gonna talk about the relationship with his father and he's gonna talk about how his success has affected his relationships with all the above those are the main principles within drake's discography and he's been doing that ever since so far gone 
I would say he was a bit more creative when it came to room for improvement and comeback season, but he was still on the up and up. No one really knew about him yet on a national level, right? Like he was still, half the time he was still doing the grassy basically. But anyways, I digress. This is what we come to expect with Drake when it comes to subject matter. Now, if you're looking at somebody like a Kendrick Lamar or a J. Cole, then yeah, you expect them to expand on their subject matter because that those are the type of artists that they are. Drake isn't that super complex um, and technical artist. He can be if he wants to. He's done it in the past, but he knows what his lane is and he knows what's going to make him the most money and, and, and what's going to have him chart high you know, in the standings. So he sticks to a status quo of what makes the best commercial music. So he's going to stick into his wheelhouse of subject matter. And what he may switch around from time to time is the sound of music that he does, which he's done so very often. So, for example, his first, I would say, three projects, he stuck to, you know, the OVO sound, so to speak, the the sound that him and, and 40 do most often, right? But then from, if you're reading This Is Too Late and and onward, he switched it up a little bit. So if you're reading this is too late, he did mostly trap music and adopted a little bit of the London trap, just a little bit. And then when it came to views, he adopted um, dance hall and, and, and Afro beats. And then when it came to more life, that's where he got into more of the London drill. But then he also got more into, again, the Afro house, or sorry, Afro beats. Um, and then the dance hall. But then he also did dabble in some Afro House as well on that project. And then you have uh, uh, Scorpion. Scorpion, there wasn't too much that he dabbled in. Like a few singles, he, he had like the, the New Orleans um, sound with a couple of the singles that he did. But beyond that, like he just, he just finds a way to add new things here and there when it comes to the sound, to the sound. And this is the type of thing that people really need to recognize when it comes to Drake and not judge so harshly because it's like there's no need to when you already know what he's coming to the table with. So I think people just need to chill, just relax, make a relax. It's like it's it's not that serious when it comes down to it. It really isn't. So those are my thoughts on the Drake album. I think it's a pretty decent album. I don't have any ranking of it, to be honest. And for me, this isn't this is a very situational album in the sense where you listen to it during a particular time of the year. And for me, I believe that time of the year is the summertime where everything's vibrant and colorful and you want to go dance and laugh and party and all that good stuff. So that's my take on it. That is definitely my take. Uh, but anyways, what is your take on the album? What is your take? What do you feel about it or think about it? Either way, hit me up on all my social media platforms and feel free to share your thoughts on that. And final topic of the day. Final topic of the day. This basically ties into Wankster of the Week. So with that being said, let's get into the Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to sports personality Chris Broussard. So Chris Broussard is... <clears throat> so Chris Broussard is getting the Wankster of the Week because of comments that he made about the Toronto Raptors. Okay. Now, me personally, I don't really give a shit about what the American people say. Like when I mean, when I mean American people, I'm talking about the American media. I don't really give a shit about what they say when it comes to Toronto because I've heard it all before. It's kind of getting old at this point. But what he said was so baffling that even his panelists, the panelists on, on the show that he was on, uh, a lot of them were baffled by those the comments and remarks that he that he made. And basically what he stated was that when it came when it comes to Kevin Durant, uh, who is rumored to be traded to the Toronto Raptors this summer potentially, he was saying he was trying to deny Toronto as a destination, not for basketball reasons, but simply because of the fact that he has heard from his quote-unquote sources that, you know, African-Americans don't take too kindly to Toronto or to Canada for that matter because apparently the energy just feels different over there. It's just a different feeling. Like, you know that you're not in America anymore and that you're in Canada. And the way he said it was of a very negative connotation. So 
it had a lot of people buzzing and speculating as to what he meant by that. And he also alluded to that he has spoken to people who are in the organ who were part of the organization during the quote unquote pre Ujiri era. So we'll get to that in a second. But a lot of people were speculating that, okay, well, maybe, you know, a lot of American African American superstars don't want to come here because they have a fear that there's not going to be a lot of black people here, right? So a lot of people started having that having that discussion. So I said, okay, let's pull up the demographics. So went online and I saw a tweet from Donovan Bennett. Um, shout out to Donovan Bennett, who's at Sportsnet, and he basically pulled out some stats as far as the population and demographics of of uh, black people in Toronto versus other places. So according to the stat that he pulled up, and I trust his work because he is a reputable journalist. Um, 8.1% of, of people in Toronto are black, okay? So it's your mixture of Africans and Caribbeans, and there might be a small, small percentage of, like, African-Americans potentially if they migrated here. So there's that. Then in San Francisco, where he used to play for the Golden State Warriors, well, technically Oakland, uh, but another destination where he's rumored to be traded back to, which is San Francisco specifically, because I think Oakland's black population is much higher, but San Francisco's not, not, not as high, uh, is 7.1%, okay? So already Toronto's percentage is higher in that regard. And then Phoenix, another destination that he's rumored to go to, one of his preferred destinations, according to him, their black population is 5.1%. So if that, if the basis of Chris Broussard's argument is that he's not going to like it because African-Americans in the NBA, when it comes to superstars specifically, don't have the greatest relationship with the city of Toronto and the country of Canada because it just feels different and you just know when you're in Canada. And again, saying it with a negative connotation. So I found that very perplexing that he would say that, especially when you have, you know, so many reports from people who either are in the NBA currently or who play in the, or who played in the NBA in the past have said glowing things about Toronto. Charles Barkley has said many a times, regardless if the Raptors are on the broadcast that night, has said many a times that Toronto is his favorite city to visit uh, when it comes to NBA cities. He has gone out of his way to say that. Kevin Durant, ironically enough, multiple occasions has complimented the city of Toronto, the country of Canada, and has complimented the Toronto Raptors as well. He has gone out of his way to say good things about players who are currently on the team right now. He has said good things about Fred Van Vliet. He has said good things about, about Pascal Siakam. He has said good things about Scotty Barnes, our rookie of the year. He has complimented Masai Ujiri on the way that they, that they you know, um, build up their players and what have you. And I said how Toronto is one of his favorite cities to visit during the NBA season. And, of course, we know about his relationship with Drake and all that good stuff, right? <coughs> Hell, he even said years ago that his favorite team growing up were the Toronto Raptors because their jerseys were different and Vince was his favorite player in the league at that time. So you have those accounts from, from KD. And then, you know, going back to the comment that, that Broussard made about, um, you know, his sources within the company or within the, the franchise pre, pre the Ujiri era. Let's take a pause on that for a second. Because if we're talking about pre Ujiri era, as far as um, Masai being the lead executive of the team, Masai was made the lead executive of the Toronto Raptors in the summer of 2013. So exactly nine years ago, we're talking about. So you mean to tell me that your sources span all the way back from nine years ago where things can easily change in the span of a decade. But those are your sources that you're hanging on to in the present day. All right, that's your first mistake. Secondly, ironically enough, the sources that he was referring to were Tracy McGrady and Antonio Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, for y'all that, that, that don't know, Tracy McGrady and Antonio Davis played on this team 20 years ago. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Antonio Davis last played on the team in 2003, and, and Tracy McGrady played on the team back in 2000. So we're talking about within the span of 20 years. Those are his sources. Now, when it comes to Antonio Davis... Sure, he, he did make critiques about 
the Canadian educational system and wanted his kids to grow up in the American educational system. That was one thing. But he walked those comments back in 2006. And ironically enough, his son, I don't know how many kids he has, but one of his sons um, plays for the Canadian Basketball League. <laughs> like, I can't make this stuff up. And then when it comes to Tracy McGrady, Tracy McGrady on numerous occasions has gone on record to say that he mainly left the team because of the management and the coaches. And last I checked, the management and the coaches have changed in the last 20 years. And he has also gone on to say that he would wish that he had stayed in Toronto simply for the fact that he, was, he got to play with his cousin and that his teammates were great and that he felt that this team could have won at least one championship had him and Vince hit their primes together. We'll never know that, of course, but he has said that. So when Broussard goes on his tirade about his sources and and African-American superstars, whatever, he's just speaking out of his ass at this point. And when it comes to African-American superstars, let's be real with ourselves. Within the last decade, how many superstars, and we'll, we'll say African-American, not only because it's the majority of stars in the league, but because of the context that, that Broussard wants to, wants to paint it in. But how many African-American superstars have really stayed on their teams? The only ones I can think of within the last decade, at the very least, that have stayed with their teams for one team their entire careers. And I'm talking superstars. When I, so when I say superstars, I mean, there's different levels to it. But let's just talk about players who, are, who have been widely seen as being a top 15 player in the league. Okay. That being said, the only superstars I can think of that match that description are Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. If you want, you can throw in Tim Duncan. You can throw in Kobe as well, but they're from past eras. They were from the 90s, right? So that's, that's why I don't count them in there. I'm talking about stars who have become stars within this last decade. But the only two African-Americans specifically that I can think of who you could place well within the top 15 of NBA players when it comes to rank, or debatably so at the very least, are Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. I'm not going to throw in Bradley Beal. I don't believe he's a superstar. I think he's an all-star. I don't think he's a superstar. But beyond those two, I can't think of any. And on top of that, if you really want to talk about African-American superstars, not a lot of them play for a lot of other teams in the league. And it's not, and it just leads me to believe that it's not just a Toronto thing. I mean, think about it like this. Think about it like this. Trey Young, for example, is probably the first African-American superstar that the Atlanta Hawks have had since Dominique Wilkins. What other superstar has played for the Atlanta Hawks? Steve Smith was not, a, was not a superstar. Neither was Dikemi Mutombo. Neither was Jason Terry. Neither was, you know, the quartet of Al Horford, Kyle Korver, uh, uh, what's this guy's name? Paul Millsap and Jeff Teague. They weren't superstars. Trey Young is literally the first superstar since Dominique. And Dominique played for, for the Hawks from like 82 to like 91 or something like that. Okay. The Phoenix Suns. Now, granted, they have an emerging superstar in Devin Booker. And they already have a surefire superstar in Chris Paul, who they got on the downward spiral of his career. But beyond them, the last African-American superstar that they had. I want to say Jason Kidd, which was like 20 years ago. And even then, when Steve Nash came onto the team, he was... Their biggest superstar that they had in years. I think what he did in Phoenix was bigger than what Jason Kidd did in Phoenix. I mean, Dallas, the Mavericks. I don't think they've ever had a black superstar. Maybe Rolando Blackman during the 80s. But you have to be a basketball head to know who that is. All their superstars from like the 90s and onwards have been, have been like non-American. Dirk, Nash once again. Luka currently. The, the, what you would call it, the Sacramento Kings? I mean, if you want to count 
you know, DeMarcus Cousins as a superstar. I personally want to count him as a superstar because he never took that team to the playoffs. But beyond from him, the last superstar, African-American superstar that they had was Chris Webber. And that was during the early 2000s. So I could go down the rabbit hole all and on and on and on. When it really comes down to it, though, the most African-American superstars that you'll see are within the major market teams. Lakers, Knicks, maybe the Bulls, etc., etc. And even then, in this day and age, in this era, like I pointed to, superstars don't stay with their teams for that long. LeBron James has been the catalyst of that and has been signing these one-plus-one deals ever since is his deal with Miami and when he went back to Cleveland again for the second time. Look at Kevin Durant right now. He signed an ex a four-year extension with the Nets, and now he wants to be traded before that deal even kicks in. Last summer, Ben Simmons signed an extension with the Sixers and, 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 and wanted to get traded. Like, in the middle of Kyrie Irving's contract with the Cavaliers, he wanted to be traded to the, uh, to the Boston Celtics. So what are we really talking about? No stars in general, regardless of African-American or not, stay with their teams long-term. That's just the, 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 the NBA that we're in right now. So I beg to differ that it's a Toronto thing. I think that narrative is kind of old at this point. I'm kind of getting tired of it. Like, it's such an old narrative. But I think this is the reason why people were, were, were shitting on Bruce Sard for his take. It was lazy. It was uneducated. And it was just flat out wrong. And for that, I'm giving him the wanks of the week. Easy money. And on that note, we're going to conclude today's show. So once again, y'all, I want to thank y'all for tuning in, as you always do. I appreciate it. My apologies for the long lapses in, in episodes. Uh, I'll try to get into like a more consistent basis. But, you know, just got to handle some things off the mic, of course. But anyways, feel free to follow me on all my social media platforms. And, uh, hit, and uh, follow the show. Like it. Uh, rate it. Review it. On Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music as well. So once again... It's your man, DM Cool. And just so you know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.